sponsored by Black Magic Design, the world's highest quality products for the feature film, post and broadcast industries. Blackmagicdesign.com And by JMR Rentals, professional, digital, cinema and broadcast equipment rentals in Brooklyn, New York. JMRNY.com Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend. I'm Jason Godby, and today on the program, we're going to be talking about some films from this year's Brooklyn Horror Film Festival. And to help me do that, he's a writer who has written for sites like Ain't It Cool News, Mr. Eric McClanahan, and we've also got the man behind thecinebuff.com, Mr. Danny Mendez. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Thanks again. It's great to finally, we've been talking for a while, and you guys have written some reviews for us. and it's great to finally have you like on the show officially. So uh, I'm glad that you guys could be here. We got a lot of films to talk about, and I want to get to it right away. So, uh, Eric, what do we got up first? The first film that I watched was called Breathing In. It's a South African film from director Hako Bauer. Uh, when I got the list and I was looking through all the possibilities, I front-loaded foreign horror films. I find foreign horror films often can take us to places that American audiences aren't quite ready to go to yet. So I started with a South African horror film. This is based on a stage play by Reza Dewet called Breathing In as well. As it was a stage play, it mostly takes place in one area. But once you translate that to film, you often have to vary that location so that things don't get boring. What I really liked that Hako Bauer did was he explored the space outside of the main setting, in this case, a small cabin in the middle of war-torn country, by, by basically elevating the darkness. So you'll see terrifying eyes poking out of the darkness. You'll see things that make your skin crawl, that push you back into the house. And so it was a great way to say, there's nothing for you out there. Focus on this story here. Um, as the story was set, behind the Anglo-Boer Anglo War, you would think that it would be a greater commentary on conquest and conflict, but really it's a matriarchal story about the bonds between a mother and daughter and the evil that men do. It's very much a feminine tale and that the men are cast in a negative light as they busy themselves with their tiny little distractions of war. Um, the performances are fantastic, and I really want to call out the score by Pierre-Henri Wicom. It is very evocative, lots of long, tense strings to really just play the emotion out as the play as the film went on. Uh, so kudos to this movie. I don't think it's going to get a great cult following, but from a technical standpoint, very good film. I'm always surprised when I see like some foreign films because often you don't know the actors so you just really see them as as that character and it's and it's even more suspenseful it's even more frightening because you don't have the you don't have to suspend your disbelief as much because it's a movie star that you recognize kind of thing i would very much agree with that and i will say to those who are frightened of of, of foreign films this film is filmed in english because it takes place in south africa so all the characters spoke english so it is accessible all right, Danny, what you what you got for us? So one of the first films that I saw for the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival was Booger, 
So that one's directed by Mary Doderman. It's mainly about one character, her played by Grace Glowicki. So her character just recently experienced the loss of one of her closest friends and her roommate. So the film kind of, it's about her coming to terms with that grief. And that grief, that grief is personified in the a black cat whose name is the title of the film Booger. <clears throat> so what I was really drawn to from the film is uh, it's very claustrophobic, very atmospheric. It's not scary by traditional horror terms, but I think where it's it's mo it's more effective during moments of experiencing the character's trauma, her coming to terms with that grief that she's experiencing. And there's actually quite a few moments of body horror. So if you're into that or if you're disgusted by that, it's there. There's some of that. It's not shock horror, jump scare horror, anything like that. It's basically a, it's um, an observation or a character study into this character as she slowly sort, she slowly mentally unravels as the film goes on. I thought it was really strong. Uh, very good character performance from the main actress, Grace Glowicki. Uh, strong emotional center. And yeah, I just really also like the way that the film is paced. It's not, it has a deliberate pace to it, but it allows the sort of tension of the film to play out to its, you know, very meaningful conclusion. Really dug this one. Thought it was a great performance. And yeah, not scary in the traditional sense, but a lot of a lot of stuff to unpack psychologically, which really gets under your skin. The title is hilarious, <laughs> you know, like, but it's it's a cat's name. Yeah, it is actually darkly humorous in a way. There's quite a few moments where it is funny, so it's not scary, scary, scary the whole time. So you can get a couple laughs out of there too. So it gives it a good kind of personality. All right, man, lots of variety. This is like one of the things I like about Brooklyn Horror Fest is that they they go for the different types of horror. They, it's, it's, it really like they stretch the limits of it kind of thing. And they also get butts in seats. They get horror fans to show up, which is awesome. Um, all right, Eric, what's next? Uh, so next I had another international feature. This film was called property or that's the English translation, uh, by Brazilian filmmaker, Daniel Bandiera. Uh, he wrote and directed this feature and it's essentially a tale of class struggle. It takes place on a farm where indentured servants live on the farm. They live there, they work there, they raise their families there, they do their shopping through their superintendent there. So they're very dependent on this land. This land is their home. And the owners of the farm are planning to sell it and turn it into uh, fancy high-rise hotels. And so the people who work on the farm desperately need to get their affairs in order quickly, get their papers that are are held in the safe so that they must continue to work there they're they're essentially held hostage on the farm by their their working relationship and so in an effort to free themselves uh violence breaks out uh it's interesting tale about the fine line between poverty and desperation uh, i will say this film isn't entirely that socio-political however it does deal with class struggle and case systems there's a deep layer of ptsd underneath because the film opens with viral camera footage 
of an assailant holding a woman hostage in a face-off with police. The police shoot the assailant dead, and you hear the crowd that has been watching this unfold erupt in applause. And it sets that precedent then that the bad guy being punished is good. Then as the film takes off, you realize that the main character, Teresa, played by Malu Gai, is that woman. And she finds herself in a standoff with the farm workers. And what's interesting about the film is that no one begins the film as evil, but no one ends the film as good. It's very bleak. It's very brutal. I think people who like that heavy sociopolitical message, who like that tension, and who like that bleak brutality in their horror films will really flock to this one. It was technically superior, and I think it's going to get a lot of horror fans talking. Okay, I got questions. Um, so, wait, you said there was like viral... Does this place take place now? It does take place in the current time. Uh, in fact, the vehicle that they're in appears to be... So, most of the the film takes place, Teresa barricades herself inside an armored SUV that the family has purchased because of their affluence. Her husband, uh, Walter, played by Carlos Amarin, is clearly infatuated with his own wealth and and uses it as an armor around him, both, both metaphysically and literally in the sense that he buys this armored SUV. So the glass is bulletproof. No one can get in from the outside. She barricades herself inside this Dodge SUV. So it's hyper-modern, um, which is going to open eyes because some people don't know that there are still people living that way in the world we live in right now in 2023 or 2022 when this film actually came out in Brazil. Yeah, that was like, there are indentured servants now? Like, is that what they're called or is that just kind of practically what they are? It's It's what they are in reality, but not in name. Okay, so it's a sort of a modern-day indentured servitude kind of thing. In Brazil, yes. It's probably not something that I would rush out to go see, um, but do you think this is like, you think this is going to be like a Brazilian submission for the Oscars or to get awards and, and things like that? The acting is top-notch. The uh, the effects, the the sound design... And I would end the message. So yes, I could see this being an Oscar contender for uh, for its technical uh, achievements, um, and and again for its its emotional story and its sociopolitical undertones. It's it's Lord of the Flies on a farm with you know the rich versus the poor. Unfortunately, it doesn't really sound like a horror film, though. Like, would you qual? Would you would you say it's? Would you think it's a horror film? So I will say the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival does play fast and loose with the horror genre, but the, the, the beauty of the horror genre is that there are so many opportunities to tell different stories that would push the limits of what someone sitting down for a drama could take, uh, for someone sitting down for a comedy would not expect to happen in that film. So then when you go into thrillers, you go into suspense, and you go into these artful deconstructions of civility you kind of cross into horror territory i think a lot of people market their films as horror because there's like such a horror fan base and you know they they think it, it's going to mean box office dollars but i don't know if horror fans would go for something like that even though it sounds like a really good movie you know like it, it'll be interesting i mean the the nightmare on elm street uh, scream six crowd doesn't sound like that same kind of audience i will i will say the the beauty of property and the beauty of 
some of the selections in the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival is that not all horror is monsters. Oftentimes the monsters are ourselves. So when you get these home invasion thrillers, these, these class uprisal thrillers, you cross into that horror territory when really it's it's like Last House on the Left is just a revenge thriller. But the kills are so intense that it crosses into horror. And again, it's about what your audience is comfortable with. That sounds interesting. Uh, so, uh, Danny, what do you got for us? So actually, I really like the way that Eric was mentioning how some of the monsters aren't in horror films. Monsters aren't, you know, traditional monsters in that sense, but it's the monsters within us. Because one film that I did see that kind of te- it blends both of those concepts in the in one film, it's Blackout. So the director, Larry Fessenden. So this is his take on a werewolf movie. What I find interesting about most horror films is that it takes some of those tropes, the horror tropes and the monsters, and they have some sort of allegorical meaning to them. So this one with Blackout, it it has a lot of things going on, a lot of things on its mind. So it's a film about class struggles, um, demons within personal demons within people, alcoholism, I guess you could say, because that is a theme in the film itself as well. I don't think it necessarily tackles all its themes flawlessly. It's a little clumsy in that regard. But I do think where it really excels is in uh, the main character, Charlie, who's played by Alex Hurt. So basically, he's a local painter. And he also, during the full moon, he turns into a werewolf. But I don't think that the werewolf concept is the main focus because this character is really he's complex. He has a lot of things going on. He he has an alcohol addiction problem. He has a ton of different things going on in his mind. And it's just him trying to come to terms with the physical beast of the werewolf, as well as the battling of his own complex mind and his sort of fears and alcoholism. And I thought that was where the film really excelled. That's where the film is at its strongest. And that's where, gladly, most of the film's attention is on him and his story. All the other things about class struggle, while clumsy, it's still fairly entertaining, very gruesome. There's a lot of solid gore and blood blood effects. And I I just thought the performance itself was the the glue that hold this whole that held this whole thing together with a werewolf story you always got to talk about the creature because you've seen uh, you've seen greatness you know like you've seen like uh american werewolf in london that's what came to mind yeah and then and then you see ones where they look like bears you know like give me like a, a scale of one to ten rate the creature for me oh man i gotta say it's it's actually a solid eight so the film to me it feels like a it does feel small budget, but I do think that the costume design for the werewolf itself is actually really well done. It's scary. It looks real. It's solid. And I like the way... So I know this director, he did another film called De- called Depraved, which I haven't seen yet, but I'm really curious to see it because he takes the Frankenstein monster and he modernizes it in Brooklyn, basically. So my interest in this film as well because he takes that concept of the werewolf and puts it in a modern setting and sets it in modern themes and stuff like that so he yeah it's a great modern take on the werewolf story and are we talking cgi werewolf or 
no like it's dude in literally a suit practical kind of practical effects yeah in a suit it looks phenomenal i that's pretty it's a pretty strong recommendation for me based on that alone you don't see the werewolf often it's much more of a character drama so it's focused on alex alex's character in human form but when the werewolf does come out, it's actually pretty terrifying, and it looks great. I actually just saw someone talk about the werewolf movie that uh, Benicio del Toro was in about ten years ago, and that sort of being like an underrated movie. And lots of people have attempted it; most of them fail. Um, and then when you see like bad CGI werewolf, it's just you know like the acting can be top notch, and that just ruins the film. But that's I think people are getting back to the guy in a suit uh, type of thing. It just looks better. Yeah, I remember we saw um, Last Voyage of the Demeter. Yeah. And, you know, there was some good suit stuff going on there, good makeup, and I'm sure there was CGI in there as well. But that creature design really sold it for me. But that's where the I like when you mix practical with CGI, because I think both can work together. You just have to – it's like meet me halfway, basically. I don't think one works without the other. I mean, some good costume can work without CGI, but – with CGI, it only enhances the realism, I guess. It makes it more believable. So when it's just all CGI, it just looks like a mess. It looks like computer garbage, basically. There's CGI and there's CGI. All right, well, let's, let's move on to the next one. Uh, what do you got uh, for us, Eric? All right, so the fifth, the third feature that I watched was called Sea Blockers. Uh, this one is out of Australia. It's from a very young filmmaker named uh, Alice Mayo McKay. This is actually her third film, So, and she's 19. So yes, like this this person cranking them out. Um, T blockers was by far the funniest of the bunch. Um, the premise is that an earthquake awakens dormant slugs that feed off fear, and these slugs basically attach themselves to uh, fear-driven, weak-minded, narrow-minded men and turn them into violent sociopaths. Um. And it's it's the least hidden allegory for the fears that the LGBTQIA plus community deal with every day. And it's it's not hidden under layers of subtext. It's very in your face. It's like this is what we're dealing with. This is terrifying. Um, But it's done in a very fun and gaudy, colorful, funny way. Um, I really enjoyed this film. It's you can tell there's no budget and but they overcome that with the the acting seems very off the cuff, which actually lends it an authenticity. Whenever the camera is on a couple of people and they're talking, you can tell that they're using the script as a guideline and they're keeping it natural. So that natural flow of dialogue among all the characters really helps sell the realism of what's going on on the camera to the viewer. So you feel invested in them and you feel like you're part of it. Um, I thought the, so I would applaud the acting because again, it was very authentic. Um, There was an effort to put too many backstories on some of the characters to say like, here's a really fully developed character with all this backstory. And it's less like layers of an onion and more like calluses where we just can't see the skin beneath. Um, but really a lot of fun from this from this film. I'm excited to see what this filmmaker does moving forward. Uh, T-Blockers, is it, it gets a little gory, but 
Again, with the zero budget effects, it's not going to scare anyone, and it's a lot of fun. I'm very wary of the lack of subtext that happens now in movies. I feel like there's so many times when I'm getting hit in the face with a sledgehammer with this message, and it really just takes me out of the film. That didn't happen for you at all? It didn't happen because, because they didn't hide it. So if they had hidden it, if they'd chosen like a very obvious avatar for that fear and then said like, this is this, but we're not going to tell you what it's actually. No, throughout the film, in addition to, you know, the slugs radicalizing the men and having them attack, there's also news footage, news reels on the TV in the background, on the radio in the background, talking about their rights coming under attack, talking about, oh, there's a new lawmaker who came into office and they're attacking your rights. They're, and the uh, the main character, Sophie, played by uh, Lauren Last, talks about the skyrocketing costs of her conversion drugs. And that, you know, and that the lawmakers are, are making them go up and up and up and harder and harder to get. So the, the there is no subtext to grow wary of because the message is front and center. But somehow not like in an annoying way. Like somehow they're they're doing it, but they're not. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. It. I didn't find it annoying because I think it is important. If this is one of the issues that you don't personally feel is important, then you might be like, "Oh gosh, bring the banner down." But um, I was here to watch the flag fly. Danny, I know we have a little bit of time left. I know that you saw some shorts as well. Uh, was there any standouts there for you? There was one called Stop Dead. It's literally it's literally the first one in Nightmare Fuel, which is the collection of shorts. That's the name of the film. So Stop Dead, eight minutes, very simple concept. It's basically the Baba Duck and it follows. I really, I don't want to say much about it just because, first of all, it's scary as all hell. There's this really cool editing stunt that they do with the the monster, the demon that shows up and it, and a couple of jump scares that were actually really effective. And for eight minutes, it gets in, gets out and it gets, you understand the concept immediately. It's nothing new, but I think they do something really fun with it. And in a short amount of, a short amount of time, which I thought was really effective, probably my favorite one, my favorite short from that one, that collection of short films. The second one, I'm going to botch this name. The Worm of Bulch Ben Pen Barris, I think. I so it's not. I think this one's a little more complicated to talk about just because there's not really a a monster, a, a demon, or a sort of threat per se that you visually see. They don't show you what the creature is or what this sort of evil force is it's just i think it's a great atmospheric kind of short film there's implications and little hints and stuff for you to put the pieces together but it feels like it's some sort of evil force that dominates this town and they have to sort of do sacrifices to basically appease this sort of evil spirit or whatever it is i don't know what it is because they don't tell us what it is but that's why i liked it because it the implication is always scarier than the actual what you see and they leave it to your imagination. And just for the sake of time, those are the two big ones that I really gravitated towards. 
I think all the short films themselves are really good, but those two I really recommend. So before we go, thanks for doing this again, by the way. I really appreciate it. You guys did great on these reviews. Um, but before we go, uh, Eric, for people who want to follow you, stalk you online, where can they find you? I am on the site formerly known as Twitter as Eric M. McClanahan. Uh, that's Eric M. McClanahan. I realize I said an Emma. And I'm also on the Instagram, I believe, as Eric M. McClanahan. And I'm on Facebook and I'm on ain'titcool.com. And you can find some of my articles on collider.com as well. Click on my bio. I'm everywhere. Danny, what about you? I have my own blog called thecinebuff.com. And I mean, for any of you guys who have TikTok, I have TikTok. It's under the same title. I do some little film log stuff on there whenever I can. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Um, I'm going to wrap up, but uh, let's do this again real soon. Let's see, let's see some more movies. That's all we got for you today. Thanks so much for taking this trip down the rabbit hole. For more of our content, including more movie reviews, visit our website, norestfortheweekendpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube, youtube.com slash getbehindtherabbit. Once again, I'd like to thank Eric McClanahan and Danny Mendez and our sponsors, Black Magic Design and JMR Rentals. For Behind the Rabbit Productions, I'm Jason Godby. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.